This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today on this very special episode of Insights at the Edge is my conversation with Grammy Award-winning musician Katie Lang. This conversation was recorded live at Sounds True's 2014 Wake Up Festival in Estes Park, Colorado. Katie Lang is an incredibly accomplished singer-songwriter, record producer, and actress. To date, she has won eight Juno Awards, four Grammy Awards, and in 1996, she received Canada's highest civilian honor, the Order of Canada, and in 2013 was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. With Sounds True, Katie Lang will be appearing in a special event with Pema Chodron on June 20th, this year, 2015, at the famous Royce Hall on the UCLA campus. It's a benefit both for the Pema Chodron Foundation and for Tools for Peace, an organization that supports the work of Lama Gyatso, Heidi Lang's Buddhist teacher, in the world, an organization that envisions a world where everyone is connected by the shared values of kindness and compassion. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Katie Lang and I spoke about how she met her teacher, Lama Gyatso, and how her motivation in her life now is to quote-unquote, make an offering to the benefit of all beings. We talked about what her spiritual practice looks like and how the discipline needed for spiritual practice differs from the discipline needed in her singing. We talked about the voice as a living, breathing specimen. And finally, what does Katie Lang have faith in? Here's my conversation with Katie Lang. Yikes. Well, I want to start by just setting a little context because, you know, I I might think that you're here because I went out to L.A. to meet you and I basically got down on one knee and begged. (laughs) But I don't think that's really the reason you're here. I think it has something to do with your dedication to Tools for Peace and your feeling sense towards Lama Gyatso and your relationship with him. So I thought it would be good to start. How did you meet? Lama Gyatso, how did you know? Were you looking for a teacher? I mean, tell us the story. Yeah, I I thought that I was a Buddhist um, for a long, long time, even though I didn't really know what that meant. And uh, I got to the point in my career where I was quite frustrated with the way things were going. And and, uh, I said to my friend Linnea, who worked at Warner Brothers Records, I feel like there's all these obstacles to my career. She went, obstacles? (laughs) 
then I need you to meet somebody, my husband, Lama Gyatso Rinpoche. And so I met him and it was incredible. Um, he asked me, you know, um, you know, what, why do you sing? And I tried my best to explain, oh, I, you know, try to make people feel good and everything. Very simple. And uh, he said, what is your motivation? What is your motivation? And that still sticks with me. I mean, to, to really truly understand why you're motivated to do something that you do is so incredibly intensely deep. Yeah. And um, he just taught me over and over and over again about motivation, especially well, in the position I, I find myself in in this lifetime, which is being a singer and um, having the opportunity to, to create these waves in the air. And uh, so I think it, it, really, it really set me on a whole new path in my relationship to my music, but to myself and to others and to, to, to experiencing this life, yeah. There's so much in what you're saying that I want to pick up on, but let's start with this idea of motivation. So when you go on stage, like on Broadway recently, you're, you're not necessarily in an audience like this, you're in a secular audience, you're singing music, you're performing. What's your motivation? It would be the same as any, any, anything. I mean, really, even when I'm not in front of an audience, when I'm doing anything, whether it's cooking at the camp or... I mean, I would like to think it's all the time, but, you know, I'm not that advanced. But um, my motivation is, is that through the dedication, through my, through acknowledging the act of singing, let's say, like prior to my performance and after the performance, that I take the time to offer it to the benefit of all sentient beings, mm. that I that I have the mindfulness to, to make that the reason I'm going up there and singing. Offering it to the benefit of all beings. Right. Sorry, maybe I'm... No, not... I, wanna, I just want to know more about that, that you're offering the beauty of the moment, you're offering your heart, I mean... Well, the way I look at it is um, we all have our gifts, right? We all have something specifically that we do best. You know, an apple tree produces apples. I sing, that's what I do. And so I try to make it, I try to make it mean something every time I do it. I don't, I, I, I don't want to waste it. Mm. Mm. And, and the, the th interesting thing is, is that Rinpoche used to say to me, it's not just the people in the audience. It's not, it goes beyond that. It's the ants that are crawling under the building. It's the formless beings that may be floating around in there. And it, mm. it radiates out into the universe, which is, you know, <laughs> slightly ominous when you think about it, you know, no, the when ants you first and the ants and hear bears it, in like, Estes Park are going to yeah, be thrilled Yeah, I know, tonight. ants are big critics. Yeah. 
there was elk here today. I mean, there's a lot happening in this particular zone. Right. So then I, I, would just, I would just have the motivation or the aspiration that somehow I would connect through the offering of song, through music, sound offering, that I would connect beings to compassion and peace, which I, I saw in my teacher. Now, you mentioned that before you met Lama Gyatso, you had this feeling that there were obstacles in your life. I mean, from the outside, I'm not you know, quite sure what obstacles you're referring to, but you can either tell us or not. But I'm curious to know, since meeting Lama Gyatso and practicing as a focus in your life, do you still have that sense, or has that shifted for oh, you? Oh, there's way more obstacles now. <laughs> the music business is a piece of cake compared to Buddhism. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. No, different obstacles, you know. I think, I think they all stem from the same place, which is your own mind, you know, your own habitual patterns, so. But I, you know, I, I don't, I'm a really bad student. I don't, I, I don't want to try to tell you I know anything about Buddhism, because I really don't. I, I just know that I was given instructions by my Lama to, to find my motivation when I sing, so. Mm -hmm. Now, you said that you had a sense, even before you met Lama Gyatso, that you had a connection to Buddhism. So I'd be curious to know, what was that sense? Was it something, some inkling from an early age, or what was that? I really think that's just the concept of reincarnation was always something I believed in, just growing up in the small town in Concert, Alberta, in the middle of the Canadian prairies. I had no idea what that even meant, but I, I understood this continuum of energy for some reason. Like, I just had an innate understanding that it just doesn't stop. Want to share some of your past lives with us? I don't know them. <laughs> well, I just thought maybe something no, occurred no, to you or no, something No, that like comes that. with yeah. practice, and I'm slight on that area. Yeah. Just curious. Just curious. Yeah. <laughs> I am, too, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> We probably have some people out there who want to offer some suggestions and things like that. We can, before, yeah. I, before I knew anything about reincarnation and, and everything, I used to think I was Patsy Cline's reincarnation. <laughs> but that's that's ego talking right there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that, that's interesting, though, that even though the, the concept of reincarnation seemed intuitively acceptable to you, because you had some sense of being more ancient than X number of years old or something like that as a young person, or what was that? I honestly don't know. I don't know where it came from. I just, I just couldn't find an example of where energy actually ceased to exist. Hmm. Well, Katie, I want to get to one of my most important questions. <laughs> Which is, you know, here you are, you know, Grammy Award winning. Women throw themselves at you. 
I've seen this. No, I've seen this. No, I'll tell you why. That's I've just not told true. people. No, no, no. Well, okay. Well, then they're throwing themselves around. Their we- knees get weak when I just say, you know, I'm going to be interviewing Katie. Their, their knees buckle and they fall. I mean, I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen it. I see it. I see it all the time. So I'm, I'm sharing my truthful. I'm talking authentically here. This is, what, this is what I see happening. So my question is, how do you manage to stay humble and grounded in the face of this? I don't think I am. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. See, now that's humble. That's humble. And it's not true. <laughs> that, 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 that happens, it's not true. <laughs> But thank you. Yeah. Now, I'd like to know more. I know we talked a little bit about Lama Gyatso, but I'd actually like to know a little bit more. Because I'm curious to know, when you met him, yes, he asked you this question that became so instructive in your life. But what was it about that meeting that you said, okay, you know, I want to start doing a serious practice. I want to work with this man. And in a way, you want to dedicate, I mean, that's what brought you here to the Wake Up Festival. I want to dedicate this much of my life energy to this. It's indescribable, really. Uh, Jamie and I met him at the same time, and we just, uh, boy, I mean, he just had this, such an infectious, beautiful, ceaseless energy, and never once, never saw him once be self uh, what is the word? Selfish. Never once. Not one time. And, and, and Jamie and I were side beside him for ten years or something, eight years or nine years. And, uh, you know, we would be like exhausted from, you know, insulating the temple or, or cooking or Oh, just like hours and hours of work, but he would look at you and he would smile and he would go, oh my goodness, you girls work so hard. <laughs> but then you'd see him doing the dishes after dinner and you would be like, I, he, I can't work less than my teacher. <laughs> so he, he, he was a perfect teacher. He was perfect and he... And he is perfect. He's, he's teaching us impermanence. Ugh, terrible lesson to learn, but wonderful at the same time. Mm-hmm. But it, it, uh, he just instilled that dedication. I'd like to think that it was from previous times, but I don't know. And can you tell us a little bit about your practice? I mean, do you like practice every day for a certain amount of time. Can you share a little bit about what that's like? I do. I'm, I do when I'm at home, when I'm not traveling. When I'm traveling, it gets a little hard, although I do my pre- preliminary practice every day. I don't miss a day, um, which is called the Nundro, Lanjig Nigdig Nundro. Um, How long does that take you? Well, when I'm at home, I do a couple hours. When I'm on the road, it can be 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's but you know I do another practice before I sing, um, but like I said, I'm a very low brow student. 
No, that's established. That's established. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious how you relate to the discipline of practice, and if it has things in common or not with your discipline as a musician. The whole notion of discipline and spiritual practice. To me, it's inseparable. Mm -hmm. It certainly is inseparable now. Um, I remember Rinpoche saying, do your practice in the morning, you will have way more confidence during the day. And of course, I tried out different times of the day when I did my practice, but he was absolutely right. You do your practice in the morning, and you have this confidence all day long. And um, the discipline of it is that I made a commitment to him that I would do that. I would never, I would never want to break that commitment to him. So I, I try my best. I know I'm a lowbrow student. That's the last time I'm saying it. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, my job in this lifetime is to be here, and to be here and to support Tools for Peace and the incredible work that Jamie and Lauren are doing at Tools for Peace and, and to have Rinpoche's aspirations come to fruition, really, which is Ari Bode and Tools for Peace. And then your discipline as a musician, what's required of you in that area of your life? What kind of discipline? You know, um, like I said, it's inseparable. So when people say, how do you take care of your voice? How do you discipline yourself as a musician? It's, it, it, it's, there's no separating any aspect of your personality with your music. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I came out when I was a while back, because to me, the truth was an important aspect to how I sang. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I want to give you a high five on that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. a high five. Yeah, a high five. Yeah, I mean, the truth is an important aspect of everything. I mean, you can be sitting here, whatever, and not be the truth of who you are. Yeah. I just found it easier. Yeah. I don't think you could do a very good job of hiding it either, just for the record. <laughs> you know, I mean, but same for me. Same for me. I mean, it's not, I mean, what, what, how are we going to sit here? in our truth. I mean, the truth is the totality of who you are. Is it the hair? <laughs> but, you know, I do, I do want to talk some about, about this whole taking risks. And, taking, and, and, and this idea of sort of stepping out into your, into your truth. And, being public as a, and, and I'm curious just sort of what that's like for you, that edge of courage and how you work that as a person. Well, again, I think you have to check in with your motivation. I really I think you have to go, am I taking risks just to be rebellious? Am I taking risks because I think it's going to buy me more publicity? Am I taking risks because I'm bored? Am I taking risks because it's uncontrived and it's who I am? You know, you have to really, I mean, I, I had to really assess that every step of the way. I've made some really, you know, bad moves in terms of like doing it for the wrong reasons, for ego or for 
Never, not really money. I didn't really. Can you do give it. us an example of something no. you'd look back and go, no, kind of hit yourself? Yeah. It's all right. We don't need to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I really can't. No, let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Thank you. You're yeah. very, very kind. Yeah, let's I appreciate move on. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how's everybody? How's every? How, how's everybody's week been so far? Anyway? <laughs> Good, good, good. But, but it does seem, in, even when you're doing things for the right reason, sometimes things bomb. Or yeah, don't oh yeah, a lot of times stuff. things bomb. I've yeah. had a, a, a myriad of bombs. Yeah, even when the motivation is good and oh, pure. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's not what you're doing it for. I mean, I, I, intention and motivation is, is all, you, you know, all you can do. Yeah, sometimes I get frustrated, but it's... I think, like everyone, everyone knows that the failures are just beautiful teachers in ugly clothes. Now, what would you say to someone, this is just a hypothetical someone, who has a low threshold for failure? It's just too painful. It hurts too much. Failure really hurts. And it would just be terrible. Like The last thing I want to do is take this risk because I don't think I can withstand how much I'm going to, you know, punish myself afterwards if it doesn't turn out. Therefore, I'm holding myself back from really moving forward with some of the creative risks. So let's just say that's a script for some hypothetical someone. What's the question? The question is, the question is how might you help that person step into that risk? Because well, they're, the, the, I mean, how do you deal with the, you know, the fact that certain things don't, don't work out? I don't know if I would help them step into that risk. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, you, it's a big deal to put yourself up on the pedestal and, and do something and then get, you know, I know there are so many p talented people, way better singers than me, that just don't want to deal with yeah. the criticism. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just our society that makes it think it's more important if you're famous. But it's, it's not. How is it, though, I guess this is part of what I'm curious about, how do you deal with the criticism? I cry. <laughs> no, I don't really. <laughs> uh, I, 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 sometimes I get a little mad, I get a little down on myself, but then I realize, you know, I've, I've always said to myself, look, people criticize the weather. That's a good point. <laughs> how how yeah. are you going to teach people to not criticize the weather? You know, so. Okay. Now, we've had a couple of presentations here at the Wake Up Festival on how the structure of our brains actually can change through mindfulness and compassion practices. And the more we do those practices, the more this rewiring can happen in the brain. And KD, I'm curious, have you had any inner sense that your brain is being rewired through the practices that you're doing? I absolutely do. Can you and, tell us about that? Yeah, it's emptying. It's my. Br I'm stupider. Ooh. <laughs> Let's drink to that. Yeah. For a moment. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> I am. I'm stupider. I'm lost. I'm completely lost. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I think it's the process. I kind of believe that that's the process of faith. Yeah. 
So, because it, I think if I was like totally sure that, I, that everything I was doing was absolutely right, I think that would be troublesome, for sure. Now, might it be fair to slightly reframe this stupider comment as something like more space, more of a sense of open space or something like that? You know, like, I've been reading the tweets on Ferguson and, um, and Gaza and all the other depressing stuff out there, and I, I, I want to, like, I feel this, like, energy in myself. I want to tweet that one tweet that just, like, stops everybody. But, you know, I can't even formulate it in my mind. I, and, and, that, and I realize how it's just... It's the de-opinionating of my own mind is what the practice is doing, really, I think. Hmm. The de-opinionating. Is that a word? I think it's a word now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's tweeting it out there as a word. It's a new word. Yeah. Hey, chillax is in the dictionary now, so. That's right. That's right. Is there a word you'd like to add to the dictionary? A word that's part of your personal vocabulary you might want to add in? Uh, You know, I have have a lot of them, and I Can you just share one with us? Oh. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure when one pops out, I'm going to make it that word, okay? Okay. But de-opinionating as a fruit of the practice you've been doing, I think that's interesting. Do you mean sort of like not necessarily taking a position? Sort of, you know, like it's not this... Yeah, the, you know, as, as a musician, middle of the road isn't always the best thing to be talking about, but that's where I find myself. You know, I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't figure it out. I can just witness it and pray. That's all I can do right now. I can't, it's, the, it's I, I'm getting less and less able to sort through it. And it's becoming more and more this big flurry. Do you think, I'm going to use the word space, so you can call it whatever flurry. you want. Flurry. Yeah, but that sense of, of not fixating. Do you, has that informed your performance in some way? I'd be curious. Do you think that quality of mind? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I also find myself getting less and less interested in performing. Hmm. It's the first time, the first time the audience has groaned. A groan, a collective groan has occurred. How's the food at the Aribode camp? Pretty good. All right, okay. Pretty good. Yeah. Doesn't pay, though. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that's the truth. That's the truth. That's, that's kind of what's happening. You asked. That's what's happening. I so much appreciate your directness and honesty. It's my favorite quality. So I really appreciate that. Now, you mentioned that there's a, a different practice that you do before you go on stage. But what I'm curious about is... Is there some way that you intentionally kind of get your ego, for lack of a, word, a better word, out of the way when you're singing? Is there something that you do that allows that to happen? It doesn't always happen. I mean, it, it, it happens when you're in the zone and you really are just a vessel for the music moving through you. I'm sure we all feel that at some point, but it's, uh, it doesn't always happen. You know, ego's a big, powerful bully and it's always right there. Um, 
I think I just listen to the music. I, I think I just, if I f just stay present and focus on the music, it, it can happen. Now, I have this uh, quote that I heard in an interview with you that I found online. And it was that <laughs> the voice is a living, breathing specimen. <laughs> I thought that's really interesting, especially as you're talking about listening to the music, and in a sense, listening, being with this living, breathing specimen. So tell me what you mean by that. Well, it's, like I said, it's inseparable. It, it's infused with my body and my environment and um, the environment and, uh, you know, everything, it's inseparable. It, 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 everything affects it. Everything, it's just completely Inseparable. Mm. 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 Now, you mentioned, you know, singing to the people, but also the ants, and I brought in the elks and the bear. And, but you also said the potential invisible beings in the space. And I'm curious, what's your sense of that? Um, well, I've always had a sense of it, just like I think probably everyone in this room does. Um, but, you know, through my practice with Rinpoche, um, you come to realize that they refer to the retinue or the, the formless beings. Um, the, retinue would, the retinue of people would be um, maybe uh, similar to an aura, but, um, you know, I think maybe the energies of, of our karmic gang. Hmm. I don't know. That's what I think. That's what I'm. I'm that's what I'm. So you have, do you have a sense that you have a kind of karmic gang? I think everybody has a karmic gang. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I like your karmic gang. Thank you. Yeah. <gasps> okay. Just a couple more questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love talking to you, but maybe not with the whole room yeah. full of people. Yeah, fair enough. People. Fair enough. One of the things that's always important to me and interesting to me is to know sort of rock bottom what someone's faith is, if they relate to that word. And I'm curious what that is for you, what you have faith in, what you, what you feel sort of certitude in. I have absolute 100% faith in my teacher. I have absolute faith in peace and compassion and that the mind can change. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, Katie, I just have one final question for you. So I Make it a good one. Oh, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Okay. All right. Never know. Here we go. I got to put my shoes on for this because I can feel the, yeah. no, the weight okay. of it. No, it's no big deal. No big deal. So, you know, I host an interview show. It's called Insights at the Edge. You might not know that. And at the end of the show, I like to ask this question, which is, 
my sense is that all of us have some kind of growing edge in our life, something that's sort of our area where we're aware that we're growing, learning, changing. It's sort of our current life growth area. And I'm curious to know if, if you relate to that idea. Look how beautiful KD looks. Just look at her. <laughs> really listening, really hanging back, being here with us. I mean, this is amazing. Okay, sorry. So my question is... <laughs> my, my question is, my girlfriend said it's your eyes. I don't know if that's true, but anyway, I just noticed the whole effect. But in any case, my question is, what might that be for you, your edge? My edge is emptying out. I really believe that emptying out. Um, becoming a witness, just, be, just becoming a witness to my own mind, to life, and just emptying out. Still, doesn't mean that I'm not participating and that I'm not, you know, you know, in service to others because that's number one important thing. But it, it and it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of happening without. Um, it's just happening. <laughs> I'm just emptying out. I don't know. See, I, I don't even see. I told you. I it's it's empty up here. <laughs> I think you might be a better practitioner than you think. No. <laughs> Please join me in thanking Katie Lang for coming up here. My gratitude to Katie Lang for letting us broadcast this conversation recorded live at Sounds True's 2014 Wake Up Festival. And again, Katie Lang will be appearing in a special event with spiritual teacher Pema Chodron on June 20th, 2015 at the famous Royce Hall on the UCLA campus. It's an event to benefit Tools for Peace and the Pema Chodron Foundation. For more information, please visit SoundsTrue.com. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.